Welcome back to episode 190 of Tall Boy Radio. And as we always say, who knows where it goes when the beer flows? Well, I'll tell you exactly where it goes. It's taking a stairway to seven as we're going to be talking about the Pittsburgh Steelers adding to their magnificent hall of trophies. But before we get to that, let's get to a man who's at the other end of that experience, <laughs> Gaz. Thank you for that wonderful introduction, Adam. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, um, those people that know me know I'm a Chicago Bears fan, so silverware is something that we are sadly lacking of recently. However, I am confident that we will perform better this year than last year, and before you say it, no, we couldn't do much worse. So, um, yeah, looking forward to this. I love talking NFL. love talking to particularly some a couple of Brits about the NFL, and that gives a little bit of a, a teaser as to um, who we might have on tonight. But, uh, yeah, looking forward to this, dude. Indeed, indeed. And from a man who supports a team that does little to a man who doesn't support a team and knows little, Dave? <laughs> Evening all. Yeah, well, this podcast's quite full tonight, so I think it's only fair that I uh, reduce the amount of talking I do to give others the opportunity. It's absolutely nothing to do with my knowledge. <laughs> it's a good experience to learn. So, as Gaz alluded to there, we've got a couple of guys who have hosted a podcast about the NFL. It's called Pigskin Podcast. They're based in the UK, as he said. James Martin, who wants to go first? Oh, should I give us a little intro then, James? <laughs> we we've got a, we we never knew each other until we sort of I, I started to do an NFL podcast. I was like, I'm gonna do one. I worked to, in radio and I was like, right, I'm gonna just get some practice in. That was basically the plan. I thought I need a draft expert. James is a draft expert. So I picked someone else. They fooled out on the day before. Uh, and I, I messaged this stranger and said, hey, do you want to do a podcast with me? This guy's dropped out thinking it would be a one-off and then I'd get rotating hosts. And then we did hundred and something episodes and yeah, really enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, it was a great experience. It was one of those where I'd, I'd sort of been around doing bits and pieces for a few websites on both sides of the Atlantic, uh, nothing particularly significant. And yeah, this guy sort of gets in touch and says, do you want to do a podcast? And I think, yeah, all right, that's fine. That's going to be in someone's front room somewhere. And he's like, oh yeah, just just, just me. I, I won't say who, but yeah, just meet me at this national broadcaster and, uh, and we'll use one of their studios to record. And I was like, bloody hell, um, <laughs> this, guy's, this guy's serious. I better do some actual prep before turning up at this. So, so. Yeah, and uh, and the rest, yeah, we, we yeah, hundred odd episodes, no lawsuits, and, and um, eighteen months before my bosses found out what I was doing, so really yeah. good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, play. That's pretty cool. Well, we we can't offer you any salubrious studios or anything like that. So hope you haven't done too much prep because we generally don't. Yeah, do not at all. Either. <laughs> so what we're going to be doing tonight? We're going to be looking at the start of the NFL season, which I think is it this weekend coming up. So we've we've got a few a few exciting features, a few exciting games. So who wants to go first and tell us a little bit about their side and what they're going to do this season? And hello, Stuart. Thank you for listening. Who wants to go first? You... Oh, no, I, th- I think we should hand it over to the guests first. Absolutely. Yeah. I, think, I think, I mean, I have got one question for the 49ers fan. Hey, mate. Who's Brock? I don't know the guy. I've hardly recognised the name. He's going to be a starting QB. I don't know whether you want to give us a bit of info about that. Because I certainly haven't heard of him. <laughs> I mean, last year, just to, to roll it back, last year Brock Purdy was he was Mister Irrelevant, the last pick in the draft, and I think everyone like me thought he's never going to see the field. He'll be lucky if he makes the roster. Start a camp, he starts doing really well, or he might unseat Jimmy Garoppolo like this, you know, Captain Average. But you know, 
I mean that in a nice way. You just steady as you go. I'm thinking he won't ever see the field. Jimmy Garoppolo gets his sort of tri-weekly injury and Brock Purdy's in, plays brilliantly. And then all of a sudden, the level of the game they start playing is so much higher. Uh, and it looks like we're going to win a Super Bowl right up until the point we play the Eagles and they um, tears a like a ligament in his elbow, which I, it's probably the most painful injury I could think of. And he's out. And then we end up starting. Well, I mean, we had Christian McCaffrey at quarterback at one point. So that gives you an idea of how well that okay. game went for this year. I mean, I don't know if he's ready. Like I, I was I was really comfortable with the fact that we would have him and Trey Lance on the roster because one of them would be good enough having yeah. just there's a lot of has a lot of faith in him and i'm not so confident on our backups now so yeah it's a, it's a dodgy position you're absolutely starting at least uh sam donald starting at least half a dozen games isn't he yeah yeah i mean yeah sam I mean, donald, I, that's definitely <laughs> well, gonna happen and, and to be fair i mean sam donald obviously you know has been around a bit possibly more well known it does he cut it not in my opinion but as you say, we'll wait and see. I mean, he's obviously going to play some game time, so hey ho, you know, whatever way the cookie crumbles. If I had my way, I'd have him starting. So it's, I, I, I think you put him in that Shanahan system that that with the San Francisco run, which is very, very quarterback friendly system. I, I think that's the kind of nurturing coaching he's just not had, and he's still only like in his early to mid twenties. He's, you know, he's. It seems like he's a name that's been around for a decade. He's yeah. still potentially got 10 years left in him. I, it wouldn't surprise me if, yes, he does start a bunch of games, but also that he's he you know he, he performs to a pretty significant standard. I was just going to ask a question. Uh, and it's again, it's a it's about how it works. So for people that don't follow NFL at all, it might help a bit. But I watched a film, oh God, a while ago, and it was called, oh, I can't remember, something about <laughs> the guy who... <laughs> my and there's Dave knowledge of the NFL. It's all right, we'll <laughs> work it out. No, no, it, it was, you will work it out, I'll tell you, it's a quiz, it's a quiz, right, it's a film, and it's about, it's got Brad Pitt in it, and he was, he didn't go to the Red Sox, he stayed. Oh, is it Moneyball? Team. Moneyball, there we go, top marks, Mark, well done. <laughs> is, that, um, well, I, is that the NFL? So, in Moneyball, which is actually a really good film, and it's not about the process and the data and everything they did in that, but it's about uh, the draft, and one okay. thing's, the, this thing called the draft, where the teams get to pick which mm. players they want. And I don't know how that works, but does that start every season? Like every player is available for every team. The way it works is every team. So the NFL has this whole thing about equity and equality. So basically the idea is that the worst teams have the best opportunity to get better. So they have, you know, the the team that does the worst in the season before has the first pick in the next draft, gives them an opportunity to pick, you know, the, the best prospect coming from college. Some teams are historically good at picking. You know, the Steelers are a team that generally tend to do quite well. Some teams are absolutely crap at it, like the Cleveland Browns in many years <laughs> past. Who would They could have all the picks in the world at the top of the draft and they'd still pick someone that was, you know, a five foot ten quarterback with personal problems. Um, <laughs> you know, it just it just depends. That That's how it works. So it's essentially the, the, your first shot at the best youth prospects rather than everybody that's available. Ah, so it's just the college system. Yeah, yeah, uh, and, yeah. and uh, for, from from watching that film, what what they seem to do, some of them is they seem to pick. Or may, I might have been mixing this up with the NBA basketball, but they seem Probably. to pick a really good player intentionally to then immediately trade it for two or three 
average players from another team. Is that is that what goes on? It happens less in the NFL. Trades are becoming much more prominent during the draft. There have been a couple of very high-profile trades on draft night right at the top of the board. There was one, the, the Eli Manning-Philip Rivers trade between the then San, um, San Diego Chargers and the New York Giants where... Uh, Eli Manning basically refused to so had said in the pre-draft process there's no way he's going he's going to go and play in San Diego so they ended up also one of my all-time favorite moments I should say where he's holding the jersey like it's infecting him (laughs) (laughs) and then yeah effectively they just swapped the players over and 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 the trade sort of happened so Philip Rivers was drafted by the Giants knowing that that was the quarterback that San Diego really you know, would would have and would settle with, and they kind of flipped over. The irony in, in in all of that is it was the same draft that Ben Roethlisberger went to the Steelers and was probably the best of them all, and sort of went happily sort of 10, 15 picks later. So it's, I think the draft is a really interesting process. It's one of the things that I that that I love about the sport. It just it gives it that parity, and you know, for a country that's so sort of spooked and terrified by socialism America really sort of embraces this idea of helping the worst team by giving them the best player uh when it comes to their sports it's 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 absolutely fascinating but you know you you compare something like that for the Premier League where you know we don't really have that system but you know the only thing I could think of would be you know the best player coming out of one of the academies would end up going to Luton Town this year and you know you think about what that would what that would look like you know say I I don't know someone like Cole Palmer instead of going for 40 million pounds to Chelsea ends up playing for Luton and you know you can instantly see how they would become a lot better and a lot closer to their nearest rivals when that happens it's what keeps it keeps it fluid as Mark says the, the where the system lets it down is that there are you know so many GMs and, and head coaches who are just so 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 bad at, at, the, at the scouting process and at the pre-draft process that they and that's part of the fun too much and then go but yeah. that's what makes draft night so much fun as well it is and interesting enough when you when you say that as well about Roethlisberger so Roethlisberger went to the Steelers and was an absolute legend for us for the best part of 20 years and interesting enough as a man from Ohio was expecting to maybe have some interest from Cleveland, which never came. They passed on him, and he ended up, you know, becoming, a, you know, becoming a legend with the Steelers, who then went on to win more games in Cleveland than their last seven or eight quarterbacks put together. So an absolute legend. Just to give you a little bit more information on the draft as well, I, as our good friend there correctly said, we have got a pretty good record. And not only that, I, I think our last time we had a top five pick in the draft, we picked one. We picked the original TB12. Terry Bradshaw, that's how far it goes really? back. Yeah, that was the last time we had a top five draft pick. We've been pretty successful in between. Helps that the Browns are in our, in our conference. <laughs> it, it's strange because obviously as a Chicago Bears fan, one of the, the infamous, I suppose, mistakes was we, we gave up the opportunity to sign Patrick Mahomes. And, <laughs> and we, we could have gone Patrick Mahomes and we ended up with Mitch Trubisky. Um, yeah, well, so did we. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, and, and, and there was the famous sort of clip where he either passed for a touchdown or he maybe rushed for a touchdown and he'd give it like number five or whatever so you could have had me fifth round first round fifth pick or whatever and you decided to pass up on me and you just think oh we could have had that generational QB it could have been him can I can I just add to that you know generational QBs that got out of the room you know we twice the 49ers missed an absolute game changer so you have Tom Brady a California kid absolutely wanted to play for the 49ers pictured in 49ers gear his whole life 
wanted to play for the 49ers. He wasn't such a, a golden arm prospect. But then later on, we had the choice, uh, the first overall pick. So you've got no one that can beat you to this pick. We had a choice between Alex Smith and Aaron Rodgers. And we looked and went, let's go for the middling guy. <laughs> he looks like he's going to do really well for 10 years and totally become a, a Hall of Fame legend. That worked out really well. <laughs> well so the 49ers this season then you got an interesting first game didn't you yeah you guys <laughs> i i have to say james will know this like i when we used to do this podcast on a regular basis we we would get in and it was brilliant because you know i i didn't pick the 49ers because i was a glory hunter i'm a west ham fan and my choice of the 49ers was i was searching for a team that were currently in the same position that West Ham were in, which was middling, had some success last good in the 80s and 90s. You know, that was my sort of... And I was like, oh, the 49ers look pretty good for that, so, which meant I had to put up with lots of three and 13 seasons and, you know, terrible, terrible... Welcome to my world. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, you know, I can remember one of the years was you get you guys get into the Super Bowl. So that's like when I started following, you know. Yeah. Around two thousand, Rex Grossman, I mean, Rex Grossman <laughs> at the time, yeah, another household name. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and then, and yeah, the the big thing from that Super Bowl was, of course, the kickoff touchdown that started it all for the Colts. But yeah, anyway, when we <laughs> when we get into that, like I I'm used to being crap. Is basically what I'm saying. I've got so my expectations are so low. They were raised by Jim Harbour. He disappeared, and then we had a guy who looked like a porn star. And uh, Chip Kelly, who was an absolute disaster. And then from that point on, we've had Kyle Shanahan, who's been brilliant. And every year under Kyle Shanahan, I've been like, it's going to this is the year we win the Super Bowl, you know, every year. And I've never felt that ever. And then this year, I've, I've started the season. And I thought, oh, this is the year that Kyle Shanahan probably gets sacked and it's not his fault. <laughs> that's what I'm, yeah. that's generally where I'm at this year. Well, I'll be interested to see how Purdy goes on anyway when we've got. <laughs> TJ Watt bearing down on him. See if we could inflict a couple of those famous injuries upon him. It's not, I'm not looking optimistically towards this season. We haven't got Nick Bosa, still hasn't signed a contract, so I don't think he'll be playing. For those of you who don't know, he's the reigning defensive player of the year. So, you know, fairly important, quite stressful situation. We've, you know, we've got loads of talent across the team. But yeah, I think, I think losing Jimmy Garoppolo is a much maligned player. But having had the security of a player like that, that doesn't really make mistakes as often as people suggest, he generally does exactly what he's supposed to do. He gets you within, you know, he'll never do anything exceptional, which separates him from like the Patrick Mahomes and the Josh Allens, but he would do his job really well. And then yeah. going into someone that is less experienced, more likely to make mistakes, more likely to do something that just makes you go, why? Uh, and then also the other player that we've lost is Robbie Gould, who is, you know, as much as it's weird to put so much value in a kicker, was probably the best, most consistent kicker outside uh, Tucker. So, yeah, that's a really, really stressful year coming up. But I still think we'll beat you guys. No offence. <laughs> I'd, I'd definitely take Robbie Gould back. I know the double doink and all of that sort of thing, but, I, you know, I'd, I'd take him back 100%. He was, he was superb for us. It's, it's interesting to be honest with you. I'm I'm intrigued how this this season goes. I mean, you know, we've had an unbeaten preseason, as it were, which counts for nothing. We know that counts for nothing. It never has. So did the Detroit Lions, and they went 0 16. Just saying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and aren't, and aren't I glad that they're in our division? Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, 
I'm I'm interested to see how Kenny goes on this year for us. I, I'm not 100% convinced that he is the right guy or the right pick for, pardon the pun, for the Steelers. You know, Tomlin doesn't get an awful lot wrong, but I'd be interested to know what you guys think about him and whether you think... Yeah, I mean, he was was he like in the pick that we selected in that you know that year? He, I think he was the only quarterback to go as a first round draft pick. So, what, what are you guys' thoughts on this guy? I think they've surrounded him with enough talent that he should. He's he's in a position where he should be able to succeed. Najee Harris is a solid, reliable. You know, when he's healthy, every every mm. down back, which I think gives you that. You, that outlet. I think you look at the the wide receivers there. I think Deontay Johnson potentially uh, looking at a very good year. You saw that connection with George Pickens mm. really start to develop as well. So he has everything around him. There are, I think, there's probably a couple of question marks on the offensive line. But what with that and 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 the defense looking, you know, pretty pretty studly still. He's he's got you know he's not going to be gassed he's not you know I'm not expecting him to go out there and have to throw fifty passes a game to win yeah. to win matches and I think if he can keep his his load limited use the run game and and the talent that's around him he's got every opportunity of succeeding I think there's still some growth there he looks like a player that got better the more games he's got which is helpful which is what you want and he seemed to to sort of pick himself up when he made mistakes which. You know, a lot of a lot of young quarterbacks, particularly rookie quarterbacks, in that kind of environment, particularly somewhere like Pittsburgh, where they're used to successful quarterbacks, that kind of that that, that kind of environment can, can can spook a young quarterback. And he wasn't at all, and he, he he kind of lived up to it, and has started to take more of that kind of leadership role. You're seeing him speak a lot more confidently with the media. I I think he's I I I suspect the Steelers have quite a good year. I, I think the game against the 49ers is a it's a really interesting flashpoint between two. Two franchise quarterbacks, yeah, I use the team term lightly in uh, Brock Purdy, on very different ends of the scale with very different levels of expectations coming off their teams as well. So it might be the game of the week, to be honest. I should say at this stage, Brock Purdy, I, I feel like I've not given him his props. Like if you want to kind of explain who Josh uh, Brock Purdy is, you put him alongside Jimmy Garoppolo. Jimmy Garoppolo is, he is tweed. He's sensible. He is sort of, you know, he's, he's something that won't be a mess. You'll, you'll look comfortable in front of your parents. Brock Purdy is like someone coming in with tweed I mean, it's not, but I was trying to think of a fabric that worked. He's, he's like oil stained denim. So he's like, he's like this guy who's going to turn up. He's completely wrong. He'll do everything he shouldn't do. But he somehow makes it work. If you have a, if you get a chance after this to have a look at some of his plays from last year, he will throw the ball into a space, and you go, "Well, that's going to be picked off," and it's a perfect pass yeah. that goes this far out of someone's reach, and it's incredible. It, it, the consistency that he did that with, unbelievable. And he would have had a touchdown of the year last year. He threw it to Brandon Ayuk here, uh, having run halfway around Levi Stadium, got it to his hands, and he dropped it. And it's like that's what he's going to offer. He's going to offer that. Looking at Kenny Pickett, I think he's got that, you know, that potential to do something similar to just energize a team. You know, they've had a very stable quarterback for a long time. Last year wasn't the best. I mean, Duck Hodges is a player that has an amazing name, but not an amazing record as a QB. <laughs> I think he's definitely an upgrade. And and I think this will be a better season for the Steelers. 
And I think the NFL is better for it when, you know, I when I started following the NFL, the biggest rivalry in the NFL was the Steelers and the Ravens. And I really want to see the Steelers get back to that level so we can see those games again. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. I mean, I think the Ravens have probably got a pretty good season ahead of them as well. The Bengals, unfortunately, are looking fairly yeah. strong. You know, yeah. is it Burrow's there at QB? He seems like he's a real talent yeah. as well. So I think the, the, the AFC conference has actually started to look a little bit tasty, which could potentially spell bad news for us. It's a great time but to be in the NFC. See... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what about the Giants then? Tell us about the Giants. How did you come to be following the Giants? Oh, hang on. Dave, before that, Dave has one of his bizarre questions about a film that no one's seen from 1967. <laughs> well, um, to be honest, because you, you guys obviously know what you're talking about, but it's just names and terms and phrases. It's just going straight over my head. So I thought I'd ask another question. Based on my knowledge of NFL, which is from the film Moneyball, which I've remembered was about baseball, not <laughs> NFL. Um, <laughs> And James just mentioned a friend, uh, a phrase. He, he referred. This is going to back about ten minutes now. You referred to the GM, and uh, and that made me think: Is it the same in baseball? They had the GM, which was basically the guy who was entirely responsible for getting the players and putting them together. And then the manager was a completely separate person who had to actually do his best with that team. Is it is there that massive disconnect that? That there was certainly in that film in baseball. I think it's changing. You, you've you've obviously got some some coaches have a lot more power than others, but broadly, yeah, it's you know to put it again, put it in the context of uh, of, of the Premier League, it's it's sort of your sporting director or your director of football given a hugely inflated job description. So they would be responsible for all the signings, all the transfers, all the contracts, and then. The players are kind of just handed over to the coach and you're told, right, coach, coach them. Where it works best is where the hires are kind of done jointly. So the, the owners work to bring in a head coach and the GM concurrently or the one effectively helps select the other. It, it's not uncommon for, despite the fact the GM is probably a slight, slightly higher up in the food chain, it's not uncommon for a head coach to... To, to effectively select his general manager or or select the people he wants for his general manager. So yeah, you, you, it, it, the, there absolutely is that 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 disconnect. That still that still that still exists. I mean, we saw something a couple of weeks ago where where Jerry Jones, who's the owner and still the GM at the at, at the Cowboys, I think he might have handed it over to his son. So one of the most storied yeah. franchises and um, one of the most bizarre. And eccentric owners in the uh, in in the division. It's being kind. Uh, that's, that's very, especially for a Giants fan. Well, I'm sort of holding holding my tongue a little bit. I can't <laughs> it straight away. Went and signed a, a, a backup quarterback. Didn't even tell the tell the head coach. It's like, well, what, you know, when did this when did this happen? And he came and said, oh, nobody knew about it. I just basically it was completely under wraps, and we just uh, we signed him and moved on. That was Trey Lance when he came in, and it was like, well. You've gone and you've gone and brought in a you know a a very high ranking backup quarterback you know a guy who was selected very high in the draft a few years ago a guy who a lot of people think has a lot of potential and the Cowboys already have a very strong sturdy reliable starting quarterback didn't tell the quarterback didn't tell the coach coaching staff basically a few people in the personnel team knew about it and then he just sort of turned up I mean it's 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 quite the most bizarre way of doing business that, that, that it's just completely you know alien if you're not used to the sport you, it just seems like a very odd 
way of, of running a sports team because it's so different to the way you know we're used to seeing our teams run uh, in 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 football yeah, yeah i mean that, that's where it's dropped to me it just it just seemed crazy but if it, yeah, and i guess what you're saying it, it goes on and and yeah. like football it's just degrees in some football clubs we know the the the, the people in the offices have more sway over the players that pit than the manager and in other clubs managers will just refuse to work at a club unless they're the ones controlling so i suppose it's similar to that then i think the difference in in compared to the premier league is that unlike the premier league you'll rarely hear fans calling for their director of football to be sacked whereas mm. in the nfl there's a much stricter divide so there's less expectation that the the head coach is going to be sitting in the draft room picking the players so if you're if you've got a team that is playing well with the players they've got but hasn't been able to put talent on the team that's the general manager's responsibility and if they failed they're going at the end of the year whereas if you get the opposite where you've got a really strong team with the best players expectation sorry best players with quality they'll be the head coach going and if you've got neither then you're both going and you're the cardinals <laughs> yeah and then again and then on top of that as well dave there's there's a number of coaches as well there and you look at like matt canada who's been lambasted as our offensive coach for the steelers you know people have been calling for his head there's, there's a lot of faith in tomlin a lot of faith in mike mm. tomlin who's you know who's is the head coach of that side because you know he gets results you know he's not had a losing season in all the years he's been there i think when you look at the steelers i think tomlin's done actually when you look at the turmoil that the steelers franchise has gone through sort of say semi-recently the last sort of four five six years i think tomlin's done an incredible job to, to maintain a winning season when you think of the circus around levin bell and and, and antonio, antonio brown. brown you know so, so you look at that circus and you look at succession planning in terms of right what do we do post roethlisberger i think he i think he's done i think he's done a phenomenal job yeah. i really do yeah i do i do so so did we did we get to then how you've you came to become a giants fan me, my my Giants fandom goes back to John Madden 92 when I was 10 years old, probably eight years old, nine years old, something like that. It was coming off the year they'd played, I'm going to say they played the, who did they play? Bills? Bills? Must have been the Bills, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, in the Super Bowl. And they were one of the two default teams you could play. And, you know, it's that sort of eager kid with a, with a snares in front of him. You kind of just like... Pressing the buttons as quickly as you can to get it uh, get it started, and the Giants fell on that. And I've sort of been a Giants fan ever since. It's, it's as unsophisticated way of picking your team as you can probably have. First time I went to New York was the gap between the NFC Championship and the Super Bowl, where we ended up turning over the the then unbeaten Patriots. So I was sort of caught up with it a bit at that point as well, where you're just sort of like, well, great, excellent. So now I'm in New York and the Giants are doing well and blah, blah, blah. And so it just, it was sealed and then cemented probably, yeah, 10, 15 years after that. So. I just I just had a flashback and James knows this. I was in New York during draft week, but the so just to explain, the draft used to be in New York every year. I went, I think the first year it wasn't in New York. It just happened to be there, which is a bit bad timing on my part. But I had three friends none of whom were interested in the nfl one of whom's vaguely interested in sport and the other two had no idea what i'd taken them into it's like let's um let's just go to a bar this is a really good time to go to a bar what about this bar oh, look it just happens to be a sports bar brilliant let's sit down. <laughs> everyone get a drink i wanted to be in a bar when the first round pick was being made so just like yeah. it's it's like 
the the draft is incredible because it's human drama. It's like the transfer window, but if you had a camera in every player's room as it's about to happen, <laughs> right? And you're seeing it from both sides. It's done in a big room. I'll, I'll never forget, right? So the Giants were picking 15th, I think, that year. And there's all this excitement. Are they going to go and pick one of these amazing quarterback prospects that are on offer? Are they going to pick the top defensive player in the room? And he comes in and he's like, um, and with the 15th pick of the first round, the New York Giants select Daniel Jones and the entire bar, I'm not joking, just went, ah! <laughs> Boo, things on the table. And all my friends, what's happened here? And I was messaging James going, just to let you know, Daniel Jones has gone down a storm in New York. <laughs> Dave, just as a little bit of context. So obviously you get the draft and you will get the team that was worst the previous year and so on. And there's lots of sort of hype and expectation around who goes first, who's going to be the first pick. So basically the, the team that finishes worst, who are they going to pick? And and quite a lot of the time you will trade. So before the draft starts, what will happen is you say, right, I will actually wage you to pick this one, but we don't really want that, but we're, we're prepared to sort of trade up or down, which means that we're prepared to give another team a higher pick if they then release two or three later picks. So you can build your squad in a number of different ways. But there's always that sort of high genius in, you know, I don't know, the Chicago Bears with the first pick. Well, we didn't because we traded it. So we traded the first pick. So actually we ended up with like two second rounds and a third round or whatever, you know, but there's always a little bit of that. Who's going to go first? Who's going to go? And you can sort of, at times you can sort of predict, but sometimes it's a bit like a, <gasps> and you sort of, you know, it's like, oh my God, did that came really out of left field? I didn't expect that sort of thing. Oh my God. And I think just to answer one of the questions was, does a player that gets picked in the draft have to go to the team that picks them? Well, yeah. <laughs> I suppose unless you do what, what sort of James did earlier, where there is that trade, there was a prearranged trade, then yeah. There's a, there's a few a, exceptions, isn't there? There's, yeah. I was going to think, um, legendary John Elway famously played his hand and said, hey, I've got the Yankees who want me to play baseball. I don't have to play for anyone. <laughs> Like and and it does become Kyler Murray recently. He's the Cardinals quarterback. He he was trying to parlay the same thing and he didn't work out. But generally, you're right. James was probably going to say yeah. Yeah, you have to be of that kind of elite standard. I mean, Kyler Murray is would would have been much better off playing baseball. But John Elway was you know one a, a generational name, you know a household name of the '90s playing it. For the most part, I think you you put yourself in the process that. Pretty much every college in America, irrespective of division, has a, has a football team. So it is highly competitive. Only 250 players or so get picked for the draft. If you are fortunate enough, and particularly, you know, you, you think about, you know, you think about your Tom Brady's and your Aaron Rodgers and, you know, they've come through, you know, elite training and private education and the best colleges and what have you. Most of these kids come from really, really poor upbringings, really, really struggling. You know, you, you hear some of the, some of the just horror stories of, of, of the lives that they've led prior to that. If you get the opportunity to go and play professional sport at, the, at someone like that, you don't care where you're playing it. It's, it's, it's changing your life. It's changing your family's life and it's going to change your kids' lives. So you kind of, you kind of move past that. The Giants drafted a player a few years ago called Justin Pugh in the first round, who was came from a ardent Eagles family, born and raised in in Pennsylvania, bitter rivals of the Giants, and the Giants took him. And the the, the 
pictures of him in because they always have like the cameras in their sort of front yeah. rooms, just as if someone had just opened up a, a, an old can of uh, of rancid dog meat. They were all like, <laughs> "Oh, he's got the giants!" And he had to sort of sit there and sort of go, "Yeah." And he's great. there with a cap on. He's yeah. like, the giants. Still, like his brothers, like, "Oh, he's got the giants!" But you know, he still played. He did really well, and I think he made a Pro Bowl and did you know had a solid career for sort of five or six years with us. But I think. Yeah. The, you, you just unless you're you're so far up the chain most people will just take take playing for anyone and to a certain extent what you see is wanting to go in the first round if you go yeah. get drafted in the first round if you're not going to be a first round prospect just getting drafted somewhere you don't really it's, care if you're in the second round or the seventh round it's worth but, flagging as well that when you're when you're drafted there's there's a monetary value to each draft position so like the first mm -hmm. overall draft pick is going to get a significantly higher wage than the the fifth and it's it's exponential so by the time you get to the bottom of the first the first round it's a it's a big cut when you get out of the first round there's seven rounds in the draft it's even more and then if you miss the draft entirely actually at the bottom of the draft weirdly if you're one of the last picks it's you get financially less money than someone that is undrafted normally and who gets picked because mm -hmm. they've got a set scale but everyone that's not been drafted it's a free-for-all so they just get whatever the hell is left is that is that where is that salary so your your salary is dictated to where you're picked on the draft yeah your initial your yeah. initial your salary, initial salary your yeah your, your, your first year contract effectively yeah and you know if you go first you're talking like multi-million pound it's not like yeah. you start there and then you know you sort of prove yourself and and you might get an incremental bonus sure. or whatever literally like your first round is like you will get a significant significant amount of money this, oh, this was, is... i mean it, and it used to be wild as well you know cam newton i think was the last one in the in the old... sam bradford i think wasn't it was it sam, sam bradford was the last yeah. one yeah sam bradford was the last one in the old and cam newton was the first one in the new yeah and just the right. difference you know the difference was running into sort of hundreds of millions of pounds i think sam bradford got some something like 90 million yeah dollars up front which is and like he was the first overall pick and he had a fairly middling career it's fair to say and then like james said cam newton he won an mvp he won you know he got to the super bowl he was yeah rookie of the year so had quite a good start to his career at least and then uh, i think he was paid about 50 million dollars less and then that's that covers the first four years i think of your contract five you could years, get five a new five years. yeah you could get a guarantee like you could get a newer contract but generally because there's a salary cap, they your rookie deal tends to last if you're doing well. And then when your contract expires, you get a new deal. It's not like football where it's like you've got three years to go, let's sign you to a new deal before someone else comes and signs you. So so what I think this is hurting my head. Well, I think somebody said <laughs> somebody said somebody said before that you get multiple picks and people trade picks. So they'll say, yeah. Well, you have I've got first pick, you have that, but then I'm gonna have the second, fourth, and fifth pick or, or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um does that does that lead to the situation where somebody who was gonna be first pick and earn the top money, the pick's been traded, but the team that's now first isn't picking him because he doesn't want him. So that yeah. was going to be yeah. first yeah. pick on top money is now fourth yeah. or fifth, and he's not earning what he would have earned had he not traded the picks. And now Absolutely. you're understanding the drama of draft night because there's yeah. nothing Absolutely. quite like that moment where you and it's not always just necessarily that someone's coming in to just take the pick. You'll have randomly every year there's a guy who's like, oh, you know, there'll, there'll be sort of ten guys who everybody who's tuned into anything for the last week will know. They'll know their height, their weight, their, like James will say, like the depressing story their family's been through. They'll know everything they did in college. 
you know, what they, what sort of player comparison they've got in the NFL. And you'll be expecting them to go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, And they'll have picked, there'll be all this sort of, he's going to this team because this fills this need. And then randomly, one of them won't do that. One of them will just start falling down the draft and they'll start yeah. picking like, you know, Romeo Leaf from Colorado College you've never even heard of. And it'll go further down and, and they'll just have this camera on this poor bloke who's just sitting there with his girlfriend who's normally furiously texting <laughs> away in the corner. And he's you just see his money falling out. And then the worst thing is if you like so the, the first round of the draft is on one day, and then the next two rounds are on the next night. So if yeah. you don't get drafted in the first round, you've got this horrible decision of do I come back for the second night <laughs> to sit there and not get picked again, or do I just yeah. go from home and do it on TV? It's, it's and amazing. a lot of the time, you know, you, when when you're watching it, there is that jeopardy of, as you said, Dave. You know, let's say the Chicago Bears with whatever round it was pick Justin Fields or whatever. So we would we we needed a quarterback. We went out, we got him. We you know, whereas if if Justin Fields, let's say for example, was going to go number one, if the Bears had traded, you might have got a team that already has a renowned quarterback in place, didn't want Justin Fields as their first pick, so then select somebody else. And you see all these GMs and all these managers and the coaches, and they're sort of ticking off. It's like shit, he's gone. Yeah, he's gone. Like, oh God, we wanted him. Shit, he's gone. You can see him on the phone trying to trade, and 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 that's the jeopardy of the draft because it's almost like a live cattle market, I suppose. One team will go, oh my God, we wanted him, but he's already gone because the Chicago Bears they were shit last year, so they've taken him. Oh my, right. Well, actually, we'll go to our second guy. Oh my God, like the Cleveland Browns are crap, so they've taken him as well. And and you can see them diving through their depth charts, thinking, Christ, we need we need to do something here. And there's people on the phone and. And you've yeah. got this massive office full of staff sort of doing stats and this and that. And it, and it is brilliant when you watch it. And and there is that 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 moment of oh my god, like and and you know, as Mark said, you'll see some people expected to go early and they're just sitting there and they're sitting there, and it's like you better put that champagne on ice, you know. We're not opening that yet. <laughs> sort of you think, oh my god. Because it's such a copycat league as well. But if, mm. if 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 one team passes, okay, that's fine. But then, if a second team passes, yeah, everyone's on their phones going, right? Why is nobody picking him? What's why wrong is no one taking him? What, yeah. You know, you've got you've gone through this this process. So the draft is always sort of ends sort of it, it's around April time, uh, end of April. So the draft process has already started. So you know, scouts and just as they do in in in, in normal football, scouts will be out there making their notes, getting everything ready. The teams won't be thinking about it yet, but they will have people in the organisation who are already thinking about that. It's a year long process that's going yeah. through. So everybody, when someone starts falling, everybody's going through their notes, speaking to you know, like who's who, you know, what's what's wrong? Are there personal issues? You know, is he a bad teammate? Are there injury issues? What did the doctor say? What did someone else's doctor say? Call you know, call your source in the media, see if he knows what's going on. And you just see this kind of spiraling thing where ultimately it's a case of one coach going to another. Well, if he's not picking him, I'm not picking him. Yeah. Just just quickly, the best example of this, if you've not seen it, is um a few years ago there was a guy called Laramie Tunsil. Oh, I was gonna bring up there. <laughs> The, the night of the draft, he was like, he's the best player in the draft, regardless of position. He's the most solid player. So he's the big guys up front that do all the blocking. And he's on the left side, which is the blind side of the quarterback, considered to be the most important position on the offensive line. And about 20 minutes before the draft, this picture came up on Twitter of 
of what looked to be Laramie Tunsil in a bowl. Oh, it was the video. A, with a hat, with a bowl on. And it was like, is that Laramie Tunsil? Is that a Photoshop? And then it, very quickly it was like, Laramie Tunsil's family have denied that's him. And then a picture with him without the mask on, with it up to his head. It's like, oh no, that is Laramie Tunsil. And then the draft started. He was thought he might be the first pick. And then he just watched this guy just like, do, 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 do. And it was while the draft was going on, you were getting like, I think it was his dad. And loads of a, yeah, people. stepdad or something. Wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, they're having this back and forth. Oh, his stepdad leaks it. So you've got this like real human drama going on while these guys are essentially picking a squad. It's like if transfer window was better. Good. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. If, the way that you kind of think transfer window is going to be. That's the draft, and I think I'm right in saying that out of everything that's on TV in the in in the whole season in America. Uh, in a whole year, sorry, that the two most watched things are the Super Bowl and yeah. draft night, which is insane. It's not even a game. It's just a people like human trading. Yeah. Um, I'm just so, going to ask one final question on the draft, unless anybody, I'm not, that, that's not to shut everybody off, but I realise <laughs> they asked a question. It's been going on for some time now. Um, and there's a question on the screen that is probably good for you guys to discuss. I've got nothing to add to it. In football, if you sign a player, it's always subject to personal terms and the medical. With mm. the draft, is that like, well, personal terms don't matter because you're in the draft. And as a medical pre-done or can it be nullified if it doesn't go through? It's all pre-done. So there pre is, it, there's this event called the Combine, which makes it sound even more like a cattle market, which is held <laughs> every year, which is which is basically a, a mini Olympics for all the prospects. So anybody who's, yeah, anybody who's draft eligible stands up, they run, they jump, they lift, they do some exercises with the ball. Uh, effectively, they, they get tested. So you get metrics so you can compare who's, who's quick, who's, and it's less, less against each other, but more against previous years. So who's, you know, who's hitting that average speed for a, for a running back or a quarterback or what have you. But part of that, and that's that's all broadcast. The bit you don't see broadcast are two elements. One, their meetings with the coach, which is just like a job interview that any of us have had, where you sit down and go through a series of questions, except obviously there's a slightly more technical, They've got there's a memory element to it. Uh, and the other is incredibly intrusive medical checks. So if you're one of the top prospects, you might get looked over by a dozen doctors in a three, four day window so that they can check check what's happening. Also, the colleges will supply all their medical records as well. Usually teams will go and get second checks, third checks, just to make sure that, that they're there. And it's really it's really interesting because, you know, in some cases it flags, you know, things like congenital heart defects that players never knew they had. Or, you know, we've had players where, where they've discovered that they've got leukemia as a result of, of some of these checks. So, you know, it, it has a sort of life-saving element to it as well. But also, you know, that knee that you thought was fine because the coach in college told you your knee was fine actually isn't fine at all when, you know, a, a, a slightly different professional has a... Pulls it in a different way. And looks at, <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. And has a, look at it, has a look at it from a slightly different angle. So it, it's very much... Um, buyer beware and the, the, there's a whole thing with the draft where you see them on the phone to their gms this is a historic precedent that they in the early days of the draft you know when i mean as mark said it used to be in new york it literally used to just be in a room in a hotel in new york it, all the with effectively 
play go back to sort of the, the, the 50s you know players just coaches just putting names uh, general manager sorry just putting names on bits of paper and putting them in and they'd call up the player to make sure that they were you know are you all right have you still got you know you're still running okay your still legs got two are legs working you still work you know <laughs> you're still still breathing, yeah. <laughs> are you still here um great can you get drafted now it's you know it's made into a slightly more of a ceremony but it it really is buyer beware you if you if you draft them and they're injured that's on you so, Dave, hopefully you've got enough information now on the draft. So when you ask us a question later about Hayley Mills' <laughs> performance and whistle down the wind, we might be able to answer that. I do have another question, uh, but I'm going to leave it. I'm going to let you guys talk stuff I don't understand for a, a bit longer. And then i got another question. So come back to me when you're ready. Well, let, let's, let's let Paul ask his question as well. So Paul Kelly's chipped in and he wanted to know if you could change one thing about football, like a rule or a fundamental dynamic of the game, what would it be and why? And as a disclaimer, Paul says he knows nothing about the game. I think, you know, with the first game of the NFL season comes up and I always try and get people, you know, I'm, I'm interested in lots of sport. I do a cycling podcast and I can sit people down and talk about cycling and they'll understand it. Once I've explained a few basic principles, they just get it. With the NFL, it's largely simple. But the one thing that I find always ends up being a problem and it's a problem for fans is what is a catch right if you could just make that rule easy yeah. to understand it would it would mean that the nfl would have a lot more fans right because the basic principle of the rules are you throw the ball to a guy and it's a catch as long as it's in both their hands and they're, they've got both feet in bounds that is it that is that is the rule of a catch except if they fall over and they put the ball down, it may or may not be a catch depending on who's refereeing. And if they they roll over and they pick it up, sometimes that's a catch and it's not a catch. Other times if they they catch the ball and it's still in their hands and it rubs on the ground in the wrong way, then it's it's just madness. I just want a really simple rule that you could explain to a five-year-old what is a catch and a, the game would be so much easier. Basically, so the, the catch is you have to secure the football they talk about securing the football so mm. you might initially catch it but then you might get taken to the ground and then your elbow might hit the ground and the ball spills and then it's like well did he catch it and if he did catch it he's now dropped it is that then a turnover different rule but is that then a turnover or has he secured it so is it a catch is it not and it's just a little and has he dragged his foot has he got both feet inbound has he has he done this has he done that and it's just like oh come on guys so yeah i, t- I take your point there mark yeah I, I'd agree with that as well. And just for the record, Jesse James did catch that ball. Yes, <laughs> that. Hard agree. <laughs> Go on, man. Um, I think. I think James. Me, going, what, what the other thing that people always complain about, which I think is 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 frightfully unfair, is oh, it's so stop start. And this is coming from a country that stops for two weeks to watch Wimbledon, literally the most stop start. <laughs> game on on the planet uh, watching two insipid men hit a ball back and forth for three seconds then back big fan of tennis james 20 seconds oh, <laughs> and you talk about stop start that is stop start the nfl is 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 less than that but with the game getting quicker and i, I don't think there's any any reason that the game any anybody disputing the game's getting quicker instead of having 40 seconds between plays i'd like to see at least for periods of the game a sort of power play element where you bring that down to say 25 seconds, maybe in the first quarter, in the last quarter, where you where you have less time to do that. I, I think spe- specifically in the first quarter, it just gets sort of gets that momentum going, gets it flowing, yeah. and sort of we'd, we'd really build it up. I can't see it happening because there's player safety issues and and, and everything yeah. about it. But if you want to get games started with a bang, then that quick, rapid, 
initial turnover would I think would 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 add a really interesting dynamic to it. I suppose it's a bit like when you know you, you talk about you know the offensive offense going into their you know, drill or their whatever it may be, and, and it's that hurry up football. I, mm. I'd quite like as an extension to that. It, and I've just thought about it now because you've mentioned it. It might be quite nice if during the game, perhaps the, the defense and the offense. And now I know it's the same guy, it's the same coach. But when when you're on the defensive side, you can then call that power play because you think actually, you know what, we've got the the offense on toast here, so we're, <laughs> we're really going to hurry them up. And similarly, as an offense, you think Christ, their defense has been out for the last seven minutes. Let's really get them on toast. Let's go for the kill. Let let's issue that whatever you call it. And it's like actually the defense are then not allowed to take any timeouts in that period, and they have to get to the huddle within a period of time because you think Christ, come on guys, we've really got these. Let's put the pedal you know, pedal to the metal and let's just crush them sort of thing. So I quite like that idea, and you're not going to get it because, as no. you mentioned, sort of play safety and injuries and, and commercial timeouts and all of that sort of stuff, but, you know. But we can dream, can't we? I'd also <laughs> like to see the reintroduction, if, I was, if I'm going to have a bonus one, the reintroduction from the original XFL of the uh, running start for the kickoff. So instead of kicking kicking the ball down the other end, they, they put the ball on the halfway line and a player from each side, I think stood on the 20, and the first yeah. player to pick up the ball, they got the possession. It ended, Just, it ended with injuries almost every single time. Uh, say, you, know, you can see why. Yeah, the mascot. I like the flagrant hit. I mean, I, I, I don't see anything wrong with the flagrant hit. I mean, I'm not playing the game, so hey, you know, uh, hey, all the merry, you know, crack on. <laughs> So, just out of interest, have, you, have either of you two guys ever got to your uh, watch one of your prospective games in the states or in the UK? I I used to have a season ticket in the UK, yeah, for the NFL, but I I had to give it up recently because, yeah, it was uh, it was becoming quite difficult to get you know to get to the games and afford it to be honest because it's it's the price has gone up quite a bit since it started. I think yeah, when I first bought the ticket, it was I, think I was paying fifty quid a ticket and I had three tickets. Yeah. And then I think the last time I was doing it, it was about 80, 90 quid a ticket, which is quite a big jump. And that was in about five years. So yeah, I had to I had to give it up at the time. And then I tried to get another one recently and couldn't because <laughs> yeah. it's still incredibly popular. So I'm sort of regretting yeah. it. But I did see, I saw the 49ers absolutely demolish the Jacksonville Jaguars, which if you, you know, they're the unofficial London team. I I was absolutely loving life, having the best time. We, I think we won by like fifty-six to three. It was, it was an absolute demolition. <laughs> yeah, I think if you've ever heard of Colin Kaepernick, he was the quarterback at the time, and this was right in his peak, peak playing years. And then we got hit by one of those storms that hits the UK once every so so often. And um, I couldn't go home. I had work the next day, and because nobody could go into work, I had to do an entire, I think, 18-hour shift wearing a Colin Kaepernick jersey that was very sweaty, <laughs> having slept on my sister's sofa and had no sleep. So, yeah, it was great. Yeah, I, I've always I've always tried. So the, the, the Giants played in, obviously, the, the, the very first London game against the Dolphins. That was the one I didn't go to. But I've been pretty much to every Wembley game since. I think I've missed maybe one or two. So I've always been pretty pretty committed to that. The NFL showed their, their great loyalty when they shifted some of the games to Tottenham by giving no preferential treatment to people who've had season tickets for a decade plus. Um, I just I did a free for all when it went to Tottenham. So getting yeah, to that's Tottenham, why I didn't get one. <laughs> yeah, to, I, thought, I thought it was just because you're a West Ham fan, but I mean there was that as well. <laughs> but it's yeah, it's it's difficult. I, I did manage to to get some. If eventually, found there was a guy on Twitter, bless him, who, who swapped season tickets with me. He wanted to go to the 
the Jacksonville game and I wanted to go to the Giants Green Bay game last year. So we ended up swapping season tickets, which was great. So that was brilliant. Yeah, watched them watched them in the States. I've watched them in San Francisco last year at Candlestick. I think it was the last year at Candlestick. I uh, watched the Giants wow. beat the beat the 49ers there. Um, Rare which success. Was, uh, <laughs> yeah, it certainly feels like it. At the time, it was happy hunting ground for us. So yeah, I, I think the the live experience, if you've not if you've not been, is is fantastic. It is yeah. they they put on a good show on yeah. you know wherever you are, but it's it's certainly become a, a slightly less tawdry faux Americana experience over here. I do miss having the the bands. You know, we used to get some. Yeah. You know, we, I think we had Madness and. I remember Craig yeah, David doing. Who else we had? We had Craig David. We had Craig, Craig David, David doing an acoustic yeah. version of um, Seven Days at Twickenham. Yeah, while while the Cleveland Browns set a dog to run down the stadium was one of the most bizarre experiences. <laughs> <I've ever had. laughs> but you know they, they had, had some pretty pretty reasonable um, musical acts. Not all to my taste. It, it, the, but you know the, they they've taken some of that razzmatazz away. But the occasion is still really good, and yeah. it's unlike anything else. I, I definitely urge. Urge anybody who hasn't been to make the effort to and the fan events before. If you're, you know, if you're, if yeah, exactly, yeah, rallies are great. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. I think that part of, part of that for me is one of the best experiences. Yeah. Just just to get to talk to. Now, I've never been fortunate to watch a game in the states, but you know, I've seen the Steelers. We just saw the Steelers Viking game. We've been to watch the Bears game down yeah. there. We've been to quite a few of the games, and and just like yourself, I'm an Arsenal fan, so I absolutely flat out <laughs> refuse to put money in, in Daniel Levy's pocket on general principle. So. Albert's asking a question. He wants to know why has the price gone up? Cost of living crisis, isn't it? No, uh, I, no it's. Um, I think it's um, a case of when it started. It was it was a cheap ticket. It, it was like cheap. there's no way around it. You know, yeah. I bought tickets to go and see West Ham play at Wembley, and I was paying seventy quid a ticket. And then I think the thing is, it's it's gone from it got parity, and now it's gone to the point where they know that it's a limited number of people. There's a huge yeah. number of people want these tickets. And there's yeah. a limited number of spaces, and so they're charging what they think they're worth. And ultimately, yeah, they they're getting that price, so they're not going to lower them anytime soon. I don't think. I think there is yeah. another aspect to that as well. In the, you know, the, when this started, it was Roger Goodell, who's the commissioner who runs the runs the NFL. He's the sort of the big, big chief. It, he put his neck on the line to get games over in Britain. It was incredibly unpopular in America, hugely unpopular. I remember Sean Payton coming over and criticizing absolutely everything when he yeah. was in charge of the Saints. You, you know, like the coaches didn't like it, the players didn't like it, the fans obviously, fans of one team, they lose a home game as a result of it. And, you know, they only get. You know, a handful of those. You get eight eight home games, nine some some years with the new system. But you know, you don't get many opportunities, and to lose that is a really, um, you know, is, is was a, was a big take. So they had to have the chicken tickets cheap because they wanted to show that the demand was there. Now it's a slightly different case. Now we're getting into the world where they're saying, well, you know, maybe possibly in 10, 15 years, we're talking about a franchise over there. So what would it take financially? You know, if we have two games, will people go? Yes. If we have two games in consecutive weeks, will people go? If we have three games, will people go? Are people coming over from Germany? Let's have a game in Germany as well and see if people could sell out London and Germany collectively. And also let's jack the price up to A, cover some of the costs, but B, to see if people were only going because it was cheap or whether people will pay 
you know, what they pay to go and watch a Premier League game normally. I think it'd be interesting if there were more games, what they do with a season ticket arrangement yeah. to, to, to try and make sure that we're not paying, you know, 1500 quid for season tickets for, for eight games, because I just don't think that's, that's palatable over here. No, it, it is it is expensive. And like you say, you know, in terms of it, Albert, I guess the, the truth of it all is it's supply and demand. Yeah. yeah, and if people want the tickets, you know, something's only worth what somebody's prepared to pay for it. So, and, I, and I can tell you from our experience, you know, we've never had season tickets, but trying to get tickets to those yeah. games now is it's now only possible. You yeah. know, yeah. I mean, the Germany game. Like Glastonbury. Recently. Yeah. yeah. Well, I I, I, on, on the on, on the hope that my wife a can't hear me and b won't watch uh, watch back. But I ended up going to Germany with a mate of mine, and we ended up getting hospitality at the last minute just to uh, just to make sure we've got a ticket. We're like, well, we missed the first first London game. We're not missing the, the first game in Germany really? as well. But so yeah, I'm a bit. You know, we, we we've been to quite actually quite a few down in London, and initially, you know, the, the tickets were relatively accessible. You know, you you you'd you'd queue, but you were pretty confident about getting them. And I think they were like 50 quid, 60 quid or something or whatever they were, you know, middle tier, you know, we weren't by the halfway line. We were like level with the end zone or something, middle tier, something like that. And, you know, we looked, was it last year? We couldn't get them last year, but we looked and it was like, it's like 140 quid. And you're like, wow, like that's not, that's not an end zone. That's not halfway line. That's 140 quid for basically level with the end zone and second tier up and you're not up in the gods because they were a little bit cheaper and you weren't first tier because they were more expensive and you think wow like you know you've got so many people and it's about 140 quid something like 150 quid but all that being said you know i've been to lots of different sporting events you know and i would say that the nfl tickets at wembley are one of the best sort of value for money yeah yeah for the experience you know because a lot of events you pay like i've been to plenty of gigs where you're paying sort of 60 70 quid and if you're not interested in the support it's all you're like well yeah. that's a that's a lot of money but i would say you get a whole day out of the nfl yeah. almost invariably like the atmosphere outside the ground is incredible you have a you know they have like go and see the super bowl trophy and yeah. go and kick a ball as hard as you want and eat burgers <laughs> and it's amazing it's amazing well, what 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 happened initially was the first couple of years that we went you do the fan rally so we would go down on saturday morning we go mm-hmm. to the fan rally on the saturday we'd stay overnight saturday night have a couple of beers in london we go to the game on sunday then come home after the game yeah and what they did for the first couple of years was if you had a ticket to the game you could get into the fan rally they then cottoned on to the fact that there's probably quite a lot more people that would want to just wander through the fan rally without going to the game. So then they opened it up and obviously they went Regent Street and they opened up Regent Street and you just yeah. wander through there. Whereas the first couple of years, I think we're in Trafalgar Square and they actually right. ticketed it and gated it. So you had to show your ticket to get in. And and that was great. And we loved it because we got a ticket to the game. But when you think commercially, they were probably excluding so many people that would have just wandered through, perhaps bought yeah. a beer for five or ten minutes, and then wandered off and not go to the game. That you can sort of understand why they then opened it up. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah we, did a, we did. We did. We did an OB when we were yeah. uh, when we were doing our podcast, and we yeah we met some some really interesting characters. Most of them were going to the game, but not all of them. And it was I was just... just about to say it was one of my favourite things. Was just so we used to do little packages, like self-contained bits in the podcast, which was just whenever there was a moment we could capture, we just kind of grab people. So like when the NFL released the color rush jerseys with these new jerseys, I, I hung around London college of fashion and showed some prospects and students like their, their jerseys and got them to rate them. And it was got some great comments on that. But then 
I was like, oh, that went really well. Like, uh, how can we do this? Oh, the fan rally. We'll just go and talk to people. And it was, you know, people yeah. talking about their team seasons. And then every now and then you just grab hold of someone who was wearing like an orange jumper and you assume they're a Bears or a Bengals, a Brown or a Bengals <laughs> fan. And it turns out that they were just someone wearing an orange jumper who just got lost <laughs> on Richard Street. <laughs> I was like, so how do you think the Browns are going to do this year? And they just look at you like, I don't know what you're talking about. Please leave me alone. <laughs> that'd be Dave. 100% that'd be yeah, Dave. That will be Dave, yeah. <laughs> But it was also like that time. My favorite thing about the, when the NFL games happen in London is this, this amazing bit of timing where there's this great import of Americana at that time. So you have the Super Bowl, sorry, the uh, the NFL London games often happen at the same time that Comic Con happens. So I remember on many, many times getting on the train that has picked up people from Comic Con and the NFL, just picking up normal commuters coming back from London who just have this complete like thousand yard stare on their face because they can't work <laughs> out what's wrong <laughs> they like, they're just they don't want to speak they don't know what's happened and you just see them going Agnes Agnes what's happened like just whispering to you <laughs> one of the best things so Albert's got another question he wants to know why do you prefer this sport than over the likes of rugby you know the, the origins are fairly similar it's not a dissimilar sport I guess you guys rugby fans yeah I am I, I Played it in played it in school. I'm looking forward to the World Cup, particularly as Scotland aren't terrible for once. So yeah, but England are. So England are <laughs> the, the group that's holding. Um, <laughs> so yeah, no. Basically, if it's a ball with a sport, I'm interested. Keep me away yeah. from the transport-based sports, but um, <laughs> uh, and tennis. But pretty much all the other. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll, we got that. We got that. Yeah. <laughs> we got that. Um, I'll, I'll I'll watch it. I mean, where where it stands with rugby. I think rugby has a physicality to it that people think the NFL doesn't have because people are like, why are they wearing padding, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I think if you watch the NFL, you understand how they use use that, use the, the padding as as weaponry. Um, yeah. less so these days. But it's part of it's part of what they've got. The impact is so much greater. And you watch you watch the speed of the NFL compared to the speed of rugby. It is so much faster. Yeah, as a yeah. as a sport is one of the reasons why it's in short bursts is mm. that the intensity of 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 the play is so is so significant i think the reason i i love it is some of the reasons we've talked about you know you never know one year to another who who you know if the the terrible team is going to be terrible again or whether they've got a chance to be good that that system of parity that sort of never ending sort of flow of of talent, the drama that comes with that and that comes through the draft. Plus then obviously the, that 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 kind of the the intensity of what is it at its heart an incredibly physical game, but played yeah. very tactically. You know, it is the ultimate violent chess. Whereas rugby is 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 you know has a very different flow and you know we yes it's got some similarities to it, but it is a it, it's it's a lot more incidental in the way it happens with sort of broader tactics you know every you know the the, the amount of set piece set pieces you know everything in the nfl is a set piece not yeah. everything in rugby is a set piece so it's that it's that kind of regimented violence that i think i i love the best about i think i think for me it's the nfl players get done a little bit of a disservice in terms of it, it's you you said it's, it's violent chess and it is and you need to have a certain intellect to play Yes, and therefore you need a certain intellect, a certain level of playing intellect to play in the NFL. It's not just two lines of huge blokes just crash helmets and then one guy throws a ball to another guy. You know, there's, there's a lot more nuances in terms of 
how do you want to position that guy? Where do you want to move him? How do you do that? How do you get one up over your direct opponent and all of that? And 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 there's a level of sporting intellect that actually, unless you, I say a hardcore fan, unless you are a fan, you, you sort of don't realise and you sort of don't get the nuances of that. And, and that's what I love is that the very, very big guys and the very, very small guys can be equally as important as each other at any one time because of the yeah. jobs that they do on the field. And and for me, it, that it's that it's, it, it's the thinking man's chess. It, it's, it's the, the maneuverability. It's the trying to outwit your opponent by coming. I mean, you only have to look at the playbooks of these guys from college, you know, that they have to learn within the first month or two months, you know, they, they, you, you see the documentaries <laughs> and they go home and they're literally in the hotel rooms. They go waiting through pages and pages of photos of, well, if this is in this position, this is what happens. And, and, this is where that block is going to go. And this is the call for this play. And this is where you move. And, and it literally is just like violent chess. And I think James, you're right. I think it's a, it's a fantastic analogy. And for me, it's that and the level of sport and intellect that you need in order to perform at the very high level. Just, and, and I, I, well, I, you I know, I'd, I'd add to that as well and say, I played, as I say, I played rugby in school. I'm still not entirely sure of the, of the rules of rugby. And <laughs> I played it for, for sort of three or four years and like, I'll watch it. And, I'm still slightly baffled by some elements of it. And I, I, I watch it, no, I wouldn't say I watch it religiously, but I watch it, I, I, I would say I'm, I'm a, a fairly passionate rugby fan. Yeah. I, but there are still some elements that I'm a bit like, hang on, I'm, I'm not quite sure I understand exactly what's what's going on there. And I, I, would, I would wager that most rugby fans, if they deep down would, would admit that there's a yeah. lot of stuff that when you're watching it, you don't really understand exactly what's going on. I think you have to be playing it. Obviously, most people who were playing it probably knew what they were doing. I was just told to go and hit, hit that hit, guy. Hit that guy. And <laughs> that ball. Run in that direction and yeah. smash that guy. Yeah. Less, going back to less, less, less running, more hitting with my, uh, <laughs> with my skills. Going back to Albert's point, though, like I think to, to give another analogy, if you've watched the World Championships in Athletics, rugby is like the decathlon it's someone that's got to be good at all of the elements whereas the nfl has enough space that you have specialists so it's like watching the guy like usain bolt at one position and then watching you know andre de is doing you know the pole vault and then other so you've got all these great sort of individuals that are the best at their sport not so long ago the 49ers had a guy called marquis goodwin who was an olympic medalist in the long jump playing in the nfl you know there's been several olympic 100 meter gold medalists that have played wide receiver you know you, you have guys that are the very best athletic talents at what they do you know i think robert griffin the third he was a quarterback he he had the world 400 meter hurdles junior record like you have yeah. these incredible athletes it's so, like james said it's 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 so much quicker everything happens so fast and i would say Per minute on a game, the NFL gives, or on a weekend, the NFL gives more highlight moments for your memory. Like there's always yeah. a play that you go away and go, I can't believe he did that. Whether it's a catch, a tackle, an interception, you know, a guy who's run around everyone. There's always a great moment every week. A guy who's throwing the ball while he's falling over. You know, it's incredible. Yeah. Q Devin this... Hester. <laughs> Kickoff return. The phenom. The phenom. Kickoff return. Super Bowl. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that, that the, I know I've been itching to wrap up because we're going way past the hour. But Mark, you just um, that question led into earlier. I said I got another question, and it's from another film, and, uh, and it'll be a brief answer. Is this okay. about NFL? You're not going to give us like if it's Flash Gordon, that might be okay. <laughs> no, it, it, it's a film called Twelve Orphans, 
Okay. And I can remember it because I only watched it the weekend, and it was about twelve orphans, uh, and they <laughs> set up strange, a, a coach. Such a name, and a coach, uh, a coach went there to work at the school and to to get a football team going. And he's apparently accredited as one of the first coaches or the first coach to start playing um, the football different by actually passing and running. So moving and passing the ball and running and catching the ball rather than just all lining up and bashing into each other and see who ends up with it. And that was just interesting. That wasn't my question. My question was, in that film, he had a defensive coach <laughs> <laughs> and then him. And, right. and it struck me that although he was the main coach, it was almost like the both of them coached and, and like, you're specialist, so you do that. And he was like making the calls during the game. So it wasn't like a single manager like you would have in, in, yeah. in football. Is, is that what it's like? You've just been talking about all these different specialists. So during a game, do different coaches call different plays? Yep. Yeah. I mean, it's not only will you have a, well, they, they're, they're referred to as coordinators. So you'd have an offensive coordinator, a defensive coordinator, but now, and then you've got a head coach. Now, the, the head coach may also be one of those. But it, you tend to have at least at least an offensive coordinator and a defensive coordinator. But now you've even got sort of, you know, passing game coordinators, and you'll have yeah. running game coordinators. And then within each of those disciplines, each of the position group will have their own coach. So you'll have a offensive line coach, and you'll have wide receivers coach, and a quarterback coach, and the linebackers coach. And you know, you every position group is coached slightly differently. And then above that, you'll have the play callers that sit there. So when you watch the game and you see all those people up and down the sidelines, you know they've they've all got some sort of responsibility, mostly mm -hmm. for it from a sort of coaching perspective as well. And then you've got sort of quality assurance people that make sure that the plays are being called in the right way, and you know that the the players are doing the right thing, who are all watching, you know, specific groups of players. So the whole thing is a a whole cottage industry of, of 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 sort of coaching and leadership. It's it's fascinating as a as a dynamic as a player. It must be hugely disorientating to know who you're taking your instructions from yeah. sometimes yeah yeah and and if, if you ever get the opportunity to what you know hard knocks or whatever the the netflix equivalent was i can't think what it was but you know that they're, they're actually very good at setting the scene of a franchise and talking about you know the, the, the running back coach and the quarterback coach and the offensive line and and they do frame NFL quite well in in my opinion and it, and you can watch them and obviously they focus on certain characters and 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 you know certain star players and stuff but they do do a good job of giving you a little bit of background in terms of all of the things that go into it so I'm a big fan of the NF you know the hard knocks sort of series and was it not undiscovered what was the other one I can't think what it was back in the day but yes but they're very good if you ever get a chance to watch them that they are very good your little flash Gordon throwaway he actually was an NFL player as well yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's it. You know, someone else picked up upon it. Well, anyway, <laughs> I think that was a pun. Just to just to wrap it up, then, because you know, before we go around, we say our goodbyes. Let's just quickly, quickly, because we normally keep these episodes to around about an hour-ish. Just quickly, give us your Super Bowl. Throw all team allegiances to one side. Who do you think is going to win the Super Bowl this year? Short answers. Go on, we'll start Chiefs. with our guest. Who's that? Chiefs. Sorry? Chiefs. Hard to look past them at the moment. I think people are writing off the bills a bit too a bit too readily as well. I think it's 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 whoever wins that AFC Championship yeah. game. I think it's probably those two. I I, I as much as I'd love to say the Bears, I, I do think I think the Bills are 
I think the Bills are decent, and, and, and I agree with you, James. I think whoever comes out of that game goes on to win it. Yeah, I think the Chiefs are probably my pick. There's a guy, you know, I'd like to see do well at the books, Baker Mayfield. I'd like to see him do well there. I like, I like Baker. I do. I think he, you know, I think there's just something there with that guy. I'd love, love to see him do well. You know, you know ex Oklahoma Sooner player. So for me, I'd love to see him. Dave, who do you think is going to win? Um, the um, the Philadelphia Pelicans. <laughs> yeah, well, it is a bird, but the Pelicans are new all inside in the NBA. But yeah, it's the it's the Eagles. We don't want to see them when nobody here Definitely wants to not. see them when. Let's make that clear. <laughs> okay, as long as they don't win it, I'm, I don't really mind. <laughs> uh, and, and Mark holding your shirt up is not helping me at all. Oh, it's got it's the only one where it's got the name written on it. So I'll, I'll sort of think <laughs> that, that really doesn't help it. That really doesn't help him. Yeah, it's a bit small. I can't see it. No, fair enough, fair enough. So then, like I say, we keep these episodes to around about an hour. So we're gonna go around. We are gonna say goodbye, and then we're gonna say we'll see you again next week. That's what we do. But as we do, as we say goodbye this week, we're gonna answer Stuart's question. God bless him, because he's asked us who is our favorite player of all time. So as you say goodbye, give us your favorite player and the reason why. Okay, mine is uh, Frank Gore. I think I'm gonna say so. Thanks. Bye. <laughs> nice. I'll go for my favourite of recent times. My favourite all-time is a guy called Lawrence Taylor, but for recent times, Odell Beckham, just an absolute, just revolutionised the position. I did things which the Giants haven't had a quarterback do, uh, haven't had a wide receiver do that in um, in in generations. So he was just so exciting to watch. Um, I'm, I'm sure you're hoping he's less good now he's a Raven, but uh, <laughs> which I think he will be. But um, yeah, just completely yeah. put me away. I mean, Lawrence Taylor was a legend. Odell Beckham, that catch just transformed a whole generation of people into watching NFL. So fair play to him for that. Um, for me, Walter Payton, uh, just like sweetness, just unbelievably good. And I suppose slightly more recent times, Brian Urlacher, I just thought he had everything. I thought he was just an absolute beast on the field and phenomenal at everything he did. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Brian Urlacher was good. I just remember that that, that, that one time that Jer- Jerome the bus back ran straight over the top of me. <laughs> God, let's forget all the times that he absolutely put him down at the one-yard line or whatever. Yeah, we'll forget them, shall we? We will, yeah. Dave, any, any favourite players you um, care to mention? Yeah, I mean, we are. this is our closing goodbyes as well, and we, we normally do it with Adams. We do it once, and then we do it again. So I'm going to do mine. I'm going to do mine this time. I just want to say thanks you guys, Mark and James. Um, apart from a couple of Spells early on, my eyes glazed over where you guys were all talking about <laughs> players and teams and who's going to win. It just completely lost me. But the other stuff we talked about, it's just actually fascinating. And, and, and all of you four are obviously very knowledgeable about this. And it actually, as a conversation, it's actually really interesting. And, and, and that draft process is just completely nuts. Um, and then the way you have 4 billion people running a team on a touchline is just completely nuts. The fact that it takes about... <laughs> Three weeks to finish a game is completely nuts. Um, <laughs> apart from all of that, it's been really, really enjoyable. And for my player, and I'm going to say something now that you'll either go, yeah, fair enough, or Dave, wrong sport. The fridge. I can yeah. predict you. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Chicago Bears play. Absolutely. William Perry. Good man. There we go. There go. I don't scored, know who he scored was. A played, scored, but... a touchdown. <laughs> scored, scored a touchdown in the Super Bowl. He did. He did. It was a good shout, that is, dude. Well, you know, Gaz is on side with that one, no doubt, no doubt. For me, the one player I would say, and, and there's a glut of players to choose from the Steelers, but it, it was Troy Polamalo for me. 
love watching that guy play. Yeah. He's just a little bit different. He was somebody who was very, very unique. So, Stuart, go check that guy out. So, yeah, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you very much for sharing your stories and sharing your opinions. We've loved hearing them. And thank you very much for educating Dave. I think he got a lot out of it. I think the thing <laughs> is, you know, for the NFL, there's a lot of show and there's a lot of theatre, but there is substance behind it. And I think we've talked about that a lot tonight. So hopefully you guys have enjoyed listening. Hopefully we can get these guys on again in the future. We can talk some more NFL because I think, to be fair, we've only really sort of touched the the, the top of the subject. So really much more you to... could talk about. So yeah. much more with these guys. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I, mean, I just want to echo what Adam said. Loved having you guys on. Mark James, hugely appreciative of you giving up your time coming on. We'd love to have you back on again, talking NFL, talking midway through the season and all of our predictions going horrendously wrong. Uh, <laughs> And I think maybe just trying to get your thoughts on, and we touched on it a little bit, maybe a UK franchise and is that likely to happen and, and you know, where we think the game's going to go. So I absolutely would love to have you guys back on and, and I look forward to the time that we can do that. Yeah.